What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, Uber Lyft driver and gig economy news. Sponsored by Middleton Technologies Maximo. I'm your host, SJ, and it's time to get it on. Welcome back, everybody, to another Rideshare Rodeo. This week, we have the CEO and founder of Legal Rideshare, Bryant Greening. Um, But before we jump into that piece, um, and there's a lot of good info in there, I just want to talk about, uh, so far, what's happened today. It is March 17th, um, St. Patrick's Day. And we were... um, There was supposed to be another virtual strike today like that that Instacart did and that that DoorDash did, and this time it was for rideshare. I have talked to people in many, many markets today because I just wanted to confirm what what many of us already kind of knew would happen. Um, Same thing as the Instacart and DoorDash type thing is that there has been zero effect on the on any on any of the platforms um so again um you know there's there's no change on these platforms uh there's no wait time there's no uppage in the money i am still and i've even talked to two people in la i am still waiting to talk to hopefully sergio and a couple other drivers i know there because uh, i get the rundown from them um Maybe perhaps um, they did what they used to do at the LAX airport and all turned off and then turned turn back on to make it surge, things like that. But I haven't even heard that. Like in Boston, that didn't happen. I th- I've been talking to people who have been over in the airport lots too. But I've been, I've been reaching out to a lot of drivers I know, some I haven't talked to in a while, just to ask about their markets. And so far, um, it is now uh, f- just after 4 p.m. Mountain Time, so after 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, after 3 p.m. Pacific Time, and there has been no effect from the rideshare virtual strike. So, um, you know, to each his own. I always, you know, everybody should do what they feel is right. Uh, we will be talking about this a little bit um on the round table that we're doing. Uh, so make sure to catch that. Uh, or I'll put that up here. Maybe next week is the bonus or something, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's impossible to strike when you don't work for a company. If you don't work for a company, you can't strike. You can protest, but even that refers to the old methods. When you're talking about virtual platforms, app-based, on-demand gig platforms, um, like we'll use DoorDash, for instance. When DoorDash did their virtual strike, there are 1.3 million dashers in this country, and not even a hundredth of a percentage was noticed in any market in this country on the DoorDash platform. So I think everybody has the right to do what they feel is best for them. I do believe that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm an independent contractor. I want to remain one. You guys know this. Um, that is what I want to be. But if people do want to try and be something else, I think they're going to have to find a different way to go about this because these virtual strikes just don't work. And to be honest, I honestly think they backfire. I think they backfire and they prove to the companies that there can be no effect on that type of level on a virtual platform. Uh, that said, I'm going to jump into my interview with Bryant Greening. I'm sorry that was so grim and dim um, or like gloom and doom. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but uh, it's just, 
It's just how I see it. Uh, before I jump into this piece, I want to talk to you guys about Maximo. Maximo, the MiddletonTech.com app that helps you filter Uber Lyft, Uber Eats, and Grubhub trips to your fit. Um, to learn more about Maximo, you can go to MaximoApp.com. You can go to MiddletonTech.com and check out all their apps, DUH and FlexAlert. And on March 28th, Monday, March 28th, you can join us for a live Maximo roundtable with both veteran and new users of the app. So if you're a little confused or you want some more answers or you've been using it and you want some more answers or you want to just join in the conversation, please do so. Um, I will be plugging that next week so that everybody will know what it is. So just stay tuned. But I'm going to jump into this piece with Bryant. I will come back on the other side. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on a uh, on a day rodeo podcast. This is uh, when it works for uh, Bryant here. I want to I want to thank uh, Bryant from Legal Rideshare for coming on here. Um, he's been on the podcast before, and for those of you who don't know him, you will know a lot more about him after this. Bryant, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. Um, so you uh, you guys were the original gig worker law firm. I remember this. I mean, I remember when you and I first were touching base at like when you guys were getting up and rolling, nobody else was like doing this specifically for gig workers. And I've watched you morph a little bit from here to there on exactly having to fine tune what you're doing, because obviously with this many gig workers in the country, there's only so much you can uh, handle. <laughs> That's, that's right. We, we've been with the industry and, and with the you know the companies and growing as everybody's growing and learning our way just uh, like everyone else. Yeah. So um, a few things I wanted to touch on. Um, one of the big ones that I think that we should start with is the um, the deactivations because I know I always you, you know I always send people to you and I don't want to send them to you for the wrong reasons. So. I know that you are always happy to give people your two cents. I know you're always happy to weigh in and, and tell them, hey, I don't think this is a case. Hey, Because I, I, I even sent one guy to you who even felt better but told me that you told him that that probably wasn't a, a good case. Yeah. So therefore, that, that does happen, but at least he felt better. He felt better after talking to you. You know, we have found that so often drivers who are deactivated are really just looking, looking for uh, an ear. You know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, you name it. There's not any customer service that really listens to the worker. And, you know, the, a lot of times people just want an answer. In your experience, am I going to get back on this platform? Is this worth my time to pursue? Should I hire a lawyer to try to get me back on? Or am I just spinning my wheels and I need to look for another option? Um, and the, the fellow that you were um, referring to, I'm not going to, you know, give too much information about him. <laughs> Well, there was a bunch. I don't, I don't know which one you're going to tell me about, but okay. <laughs> well, there were allegations against him that it, it just didn't seem like the rideshare companies were going to give him another opportunity. And he swore up and down that they were false accusations. And I believed him. You know, I spent an hour on the phone talking with him about the specific ride, talking about um, you know why he felt like this person made this allegation. And by the end of the conversation, I, I was pretty certain I knew what the facts were and had the truth in, in my back pocket. Um, right. But I also told him, look, the allegations are of a nature where the rideshare company really just can't take the chance of putting you back on. So, you know, even though you didn't do anything wrong, even though this is complete BS, I would be looking for another avenue to, to make a living rather than, you know, send, spending all your time and all your energy on this extremely uphill battle. Right. So yeah, that, that kind of, you know, it gets me to that point though. What about those drivers who are, you know, let's, let's take rideshare for instance, um, who have 15,000 rides under their belt and are wrongfully deactivated and they don't even know why they, you know how this works. You get an email, you're deactivated or you're suspended or whatever it is. And there is no follow-up. I mean, you can do things like this, but the average worker on these platforms cannot fa find what they did wrong or what they're even being accused of doing wrong. I mean, sometimes you might get a very generic 
passenger complaint or this, but like what day? Who? I mean, this this starts overlapping with the independent contractor model because that would be your right to know all that stuff, would it not? So, Steve, you just hit on it. It's the independent contractor model that really shields the companies from having to disclose that information. If you had an HR department where you could, you know, there was a complaint lodged against you, you would have the right to know what the allegation was, when it was made, who made it. With the independent contractor status, drivers can unfortunately be deactivated for any reason that the company chooses, like literally the color of your shirt. If they don't like it, they can boot you. That's why we we fight so hard for workers' rights. And we can talk about the, the benefits and detriments of employee versus independent contractor, regardless of what you want to call it. There needs to be some level of protection that makes it so drivers have the right of due process, the right to information, the right to challenge allegations that are against them. And, you know, just those very basic employment rights would go a long way to protecting people's livelihoods um, and and just, you know, basic human rights for, for lack of a better word. But if I but if I'm an IC for and I know a lot of people don't understand this part fully is that there are different types of ICs. There are there are independent contractors who don't have a lot of say in the work they do because what I hear all the time is I'm an independent contractor, I get to call the shots. It's my game. And as I've told you before, long before Travis even had an idea of rideshare that launched in 2008. I was working independent contractorship for a penny machine company. I've worked for a laser company for years. So I know what that is. Don't they owe you a, even the independent contractor, a reason why you were pulled? Well, let me give you a, a, a more traditional example of an independent contractor. Um, you know, say Bob the painter, you know, is in the business of going from house to house and, and painting exteriors of homes. The homeowner can hire him to do a job as an independent painter. And, you know, one day Bob may say something that offends the, the homeowner and the homeowner could say, get off my property. You know, we don't want you here anymore. Bob is fired from that job. But that doesn't prevent Bob from going to the next house and painting. And, and that's the problem with, with the way that rideshare companies are structured right now. Once you're deactivated from Uber, a lot of times they have to share that information with Lyft. I know in Chicago, you know, there's this sharing mechanism. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get one complaint, whether it's true or not, and you can't go to the next company. So you've put all your eggs in this rideshare basket, and now you don't have any alternatives. Whereas Bob the painter can go to the next house, you know, Bob the driver doesn't have another avenue to make money. Right. And I see the I see the reason for why they share data there just to make it clear to everybody. Even I see that. I mean, like if somebody's kicked off for a violent assault on Uber, of course they want to let Lyft know because most drivers drive both platforms. So if they're kicked off, they're just going to go to the next. And if they did something bad, of course they probably need to be dealt with on the other, but it would seem to me that like that should just be like a timeout or a suspension while it's being looked into, because we all know that Lyft, like if you're, if you're kicked off Uber, Lyft is, is, is just going to make something up. They don't even need a real re- reason. They'll just say you're deactivated because without saying it, because Uber told us you did some bad stuff. Right. Well, in Chicago, that's exactly what happens. Uber reports it to the city. The city reports it to Lyft and the, the drivers booted just because of that. So it's it, Steve, you made a good point. Some drivers deserve to be deactivated. There are yeah. places in which people uh, are violent or, you know, unnecessarily aggressive or you know, harassing, you can name it, drugs, alcohol. We can all think of a thousand reasons why somebody shouldn't be driving professionally. But regardless of the allegation against you, you should have the opportunity to challenge it. That's, it's kind of just basic American rights here. You don't lose your freedom to do an activity with a mere allegation. You should have the ability to put your evidence forward. And at the end of the day, as long as the, the hearing is fair, then we all got to live with the decision. Um, but I just hate to see drivers losing access to their um, livelihood on a single allegation that then spreads around the rideshare community like fire. Right. 
And guys, um, I first want to thank everybody for joining us here today real quick. Um, looks like Tommy, Frank, uh, Crispy is here, Bud Soda, Mort, um, Lisa, Marissa, uh, Tony Driven Dad, um, and Nick. Uh, you guys are all here. This is great. While we're talking, please put any questions you have together. Oh, and Faith, too. What's up, Faith? Um, so put any questions you have together. And and Kyle, what's up? Uh, and put them into the comments, because as soon as we're done talking about a few topics that I have, we'll get into those, because we only have Bryant for about another half hour, um, and that's pushing it, because he has another appointment to get to. So, again, I want to thank him for his time today. He's I've known Bryant for a long time, so I feel... I don't want to feel like I'm ever taking advantage of, of his time, but I think this is important stuff to get out there. Not at all. We are. <laughs> um, so, okay. So moving on from that. So um, I know that like display ride, I know the guy, I know Abdul at display ride has been in touch with you. Like things like that are, are where, where is the standing, even if it's not with you, for deactivations or issues with how Uber and Lyft or other companies, whoever they might be, want to handle dash cam footage. Because back when I was talking to you originally, Uber and Lyft used to always want my dash cam footage if there was a, a, an incident. Now they're like, nope. Yeah, I think it depends on where it comes from and who you're talking to. So part of the issue is dealing with the customer service. I think they have so many issues coming in that they, they don't have time to look at the evidence. Uh, they hear the complaint. They might get a short statement from both sides. Not, you know, that doesn't happen in every case. Um, but in terms of watching the dash cam, looking at photos, they're just not going to do it. Um, so the, anytime that you can escalate the issue, get it to the next level, whether it's the legal department um, or, or even just a manager on the customer service side, I think you're more likely to get that dash cam footage reviewed. Um, sometimes third parties getting involved can help. Like I know we have written uh, letters with evidence presented to the rideshare companies and they've taken a look at things and you know, we've gotten, we've helped with getting people back on. Um, I know that other lawyers have been hired to do the same. And um, you know, it, it, there's no, one size fits all answer. It's really just getting to the right person to look at the evidence. Right. Okay. So that, that brings me to this and I, I hate to use this example, but it's the only one I know that will refer to legal. So I know that sometimes if divorces get ugly and if the two parties can't communicate or things of that nature, that they can go to systems where like um, messages are locked up or under a magistrate's, I'm, I'm probably saying all this wrong, but I, I do, I am thinking it through correctly where like, therefore the, the communications being done where it can also be reviewed. Do you, do you are you following what I'm saying? So there's uh, sometimes there's private submissions that go to like a private mediator or arbitrator um, who can then look at all of the information and, and come with a come up with a decision. And that happens in a variety of cases. It's like you said, in a divorce, it happens between business partners who, you know, might be going through some sort of dispute. Um, you know, you could think of a, a bunch of different times in which you would bring in a neutral third party to sort out the facts. Um, we've seen this actually happen in the rideshare community. I was telling you before we started about some of our friends at the Independent Drivers Guild who have relationships with Uber and Lyft to present in individual drivers deactivation cases and you know put forward that evidence so that it's coming not from the driver but rather this kind of neutral entity who can present it in a more maybe even keeled um, less emotional way because it's not their livelihood that's that's on the line you know I think sometimes that prevents drivers from getting the next level right that emotion that's tied to it I meant even more like um, where like, you know, I don't know exactly how it would be done, but where dash cam footage could be uploaded and Uber wouldn't know if, a, a, a or they would or whatever, you would have to kind of bend your mind around this, would know if 
if a lawyer has reviewed this or whatnot, but regardless, it couldn't be tampered with. It's been sent to Uber. It's been stamped that it was sent on this date. So if they decide not to look at it, that's not going to look good. All that kind of stuff where there is more than just an email track of a dash cam footage sent to Uber where it's kind of in a lockdown where somebody has kind of sealed it and said, Hey, this came in here. You guys never looked at it. Um, right. To kind of get away from some of these deactivations that are wrongfully. Yeah, you know, it, I think that's a great idea. And I think off that, you know, there's this issue of recording in the vehicles. So, right, two other party, one party states. Yeah, well, in some countries, even, I, I want to say it was um, somewhere in South America, they're testing, recording all of the, the rides inside the vehicle, conversations that are going on. And all that information is then uploaded into Uber's cloud. So yeah. I don't have any problem with that at all. I think that's, look, you're in a, a public space at this point. You are in a, you, you're a stranger sitting in another stranger's car. Um, you don't really have any expectation of privacy. If you don't want something to be heard, don't say it. Um, that's going to protect everybody's interests, including the passenger. If the passenger has been harassed or assaulted by the driver, that evidence is going to be very valuable to them. And in, on the other hand, if there's a false accusation against the driver, that recording is going to you know, hopefully put that driver in a position to stay on the platform. So I, I would love to see more recordings. I want every driver to have a dash cam in their vehicle. I think it's the, the single, most safe, single most important safety tool that you can have um, and to ensure that Uber gets that information, I mean, that would be priceless. So wh- where does that fall? If you're not publishing the the video to any platform, social media, anything of that nature, where does that fall with legality in the one or two party states where you, you know, like, I, I can't call you from a one party state, record our call and then use it against you. But in a two-party state, I don't have to announce that I'm doing this. I can record it and bring it to court. Yeah, so it it gets a little legally hazy. But the one piece of advice that I think absolves drivers of any real responsibility would be posting a sign in your car that's visible that says, hey, I've got a dash camera. And if you don't consent to, to being recorded, I'd be happy to cancel the ride. You know, I'm not going to make you cancel it and then curse right, it. Right, 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 right. I'll cancel it and you can request a different uh, driver. Um, You know, we give out stickers that drivers put on windows that say, uh, you know, smile, you're on camera for your protection in mind. Um, With that, I don't really see any issue because everybody's on notice. To take it one step further, one state versus two state, that all relates to private conversations. And it's my position that a conversation that's, taking place in a rideshare vehicle is not private. It's the same as being on a city bus. If you are uncomfortable with people hearing what you're saying when you're on public transportation, don't say it. And, you know, I think the same thing is true for rideshare. So that is it then the, is that, is that sticker on the window or that sign on the back of the seat enough? Because it is your car, the driver. It is your business, according to Uber and Lyft and Grubhub and all these places. I know you wouldn't have a rider, but with Uber and Lyft, it's, you know, it's your business. It's your car. Isn't that your right to do that? Is that enough to have that sticker or sign up? I do. I think so. I think that's it's enough. Um, if you wanted to be extra careful, you could verbally announce it. You could, you know, when somebody gets in, just say, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Steve, your driver. I just wanted to let you know that I have a dash camera. Just, you know, just so you're aware. Um, if right. you have any problem with it, you know, let me know. Um, right. And I'm sure that like a hundred percent of people, I can't imagine a single person would, would really have a problem with it. We're used to this stuff in cabs. Most cabs have dash cams. Um, any subway that you go into is recording everybody that goes in. Uh, I don't see it as any different than any other business entity, but if you want to take that step and post a sign or make a statement, you know, I, I think that's sufficient. So even in a one-party state, if if you have the dash cam rolling, sound video, and you say to the each person that gets in, hey, I just want to let you know that um, this is with no sign, let's say. Oh, I just want to let you know that the dash cam is rolling for both of our safeties. Um, if that if if you're not comfortable with that, I can cancel the ride. No fee to you. 
and you can you can call another driver, but I this is the only way I'm willing to take rides. Something along those lines. Because you know what that does? As soon as they accept that proposal, then both parties consent. Okay. Um, that's that's good to know. So I was also talking to Marty from Buckle um, about insurance. I had him on the podcast, and he was telling me some very interesting things about how these companies really don't cover us at all. Um, I know that way back in the day, you and I were like talking about where, you know, during the phases, phase one, two, three. Um, and now he even had a phase zero, which was personal time, but one, two, three. And where are you at and how much you're covered? What? How do you really see that these days? Because we, I mean, it seems like now it's nothing more than blanket liability insurance that they're giving you, which you already have through your insurance. Yeah. It's at the end of the day, it's pretty good liability coverage. And there are some cases in which you're covered for other things, but the problem is they keep chipping away at it. Um, So back in the day, there was a million dollars of uninsured motorist coverage for drivers. Meaning if you got hit by an uninsured driver or you were involved in a hit and run accident and you were on the clock with Uber, you were going to be covered for your medical bills, your lost wages, your pain and suffering up to a million bucks. Now in Illinois, there's cases where it's $50,000 and you take, you know, you have even a minor injury. You, you know, you go to the hospital a couple times, your medical bills are going to be near that. So drivers are finding themselves in a really tough position financially because Uber and Lyft are not providing adequate coverage. And in some cases, they're not providing coverage at all. So I want to go to the story of, and I know this is Chicago, so this is where I I need to ask you how this relates to other cities. Like, how would you handle something like this? Because obviously in Chicago, you have a much bigger foothold than in other cities. However, I know your reach goes across the whole country. Um, I remember there was, I think it was a scooter was hit or something by a driver and you guys had to pull city footage. Am I remembering this right? Uh, it was a scooter hit. Or it was a bicyclist hit by a scooter rider. Right. But like somehow you got to the city and pulled that. Yeah. So we did what was called a, a let me give you a couple of the facts before we, we jump into it. There was a scooter rider who was hit. Let me back up. There was a bicycle rider who was hit by an electric scooter. And we didn't have any knowledge. That's it. Um, which company the electric scooter uh, was being operated through. So we went through the city and we obtained um, documents and footage and contracts and geofencing information and all this stuff. And we were actually able to figure out who the scooter was going through um, and and bring the lawsuit there. And and then we also had a different case recently, which Steve, I think might be the one you're, you're thinking about now where a bicyclist was hit by a, a rideshare driver who was opening. Okay. That's the one. Sorry. uh, No, that's, that's good. Um, so on that one, we, we were trying for the bicyclist to find out who the rideshare driver was and who the rideshare passenger was because the passenger opened up the door. Um, we didn't know whether it was Uber or Lyft. Um, so we filed a lawsuit. Um, and we asked the court to help us obtain information about which vehicles were in that area at that time. Um, and, you know, we found them. Right. So is this something that most cities are able to do, or is this just something in Chicago that you have enough ties to make something like this happen? No. So it's not about the relationship with the city. It's about the filings with the court. So most states have a mechanism for people who don't know who a defendant is in a case. Like I was injured, but I don't know who did it to file a claim in their, their County courthouse and obtain information from parties who might have knowledge as to who that uh, defendant should be. Okay. Yeah. Um, So uh, can, can you, I know this is a load, kind of a loaded question here, and hopefully some people are putting some questions in the chat. Uh, but uh, can you give an example, uh, or are there examples that you can give that 
uh, can give app-based on-demand gig workers an example of how legal rideshare has helped workers when it comes to property damage, injury, loss, things that they would have signed away because we all know the first thing to come out of the gate is a letter saying, hey, sign this from Uber, and you don't want to sign that. Yeah, don't sign anything until you've consulted with a lawyer about your rights and exactly what you're giving up by signing that document. Um, so Legal Rideshare is primarily a personal injury law firm. We represent rideshare drivers who have been injured in car accidents. Um, we recover medical bills, lost wages, pain and suffering. Um, and, you know, we've, we've helped thousands of drivers actually over the years recover millions of dollars in damages. Um, whether you're, you know, you've been rear-ended, um, you know, while on the clock or, you know, somebody slams your car with a bicycle or, you know, whatever it could be, we help get, you know, you back on your feet, help you with your claim. Um, if we think that we can assist you by just giving you some information, you know, that's preferable sometimes to the driver. You know, a lot of times we have phone consultations where a driver will say, Hey, you know, somebody, uh, somebody bumped me and I've got to replace my, you know, my bumper. What should I do? Which path of insurance should I go through? I'm will, you know, I'm going to have that conversation with you for free, tell you exactly how you have to proceed with the claim. And then you don't have to worry about paying a lawyer to, you know, to handle that claim for you. You can keep all that money. Um, but on the other side, if there is a claim where somebody's really injured, a lawyer is going to be able to add a bunch of value to that claim, which means making, uh, claims with the insurance company that somebody who doesn't do this every day wouldn't know how to make. Um, so we would take on that claim for you. You concentrate on getting better. And then at the end of the case, we're you know hopefully putting a big check in your pocket. You know, I, I got to tell the people in chat right now that I, I was, I, I mean, I, you and I did an interview almost a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's been that long. Um, but it was right around the pan or even maybe maybe even longer um but it was right around the pandemic when uh struck that you guys were doing your um if drivers and i know they backed away from this a little bit but they tried they almost tried not to because of ab5 and everything going on but if drivers remember when uber and lyft put out the i think or maybe it was just uber put out the if you are if you get covid any of this we'll pay for your off time Mm-hmm. I just want to make it clear to everybody that there are some good lawyers in this world, and Brian's one of them. Because I remember that, like, because Uber and Lyft weren't paying, you guys were paying it. Yeah, that was. I appreciate that, Steve. We were. Uh, we did a sick day program, is what we called it, and we were um, matching drivers' wages for a, a period of time in which they were off from COVID um, because the, people couldn't afford to put food on their table. You know, at that time in the pandemic, you got COVID or you were exposed to COVID, you're off for two weeks and no questions asked. Right. And rideshare companies were simply not living up to the promises that they were making. And like, I don't want to be dramatic, but people were literally starving as a result. No, it's not being dramatic. That is how it was. And and I I was just, I, I mean, like, I already knew you. So it wasn't like, that's what led me to you. I already knew you well. I knew of you and and everything. And we had communicated. But when I saw that, I was like, that is, that is so cool. Because I remember when Uber put it out and they said, we'll pay if you're, and I remember just everybody was going through the normal Uber BS of, well, we're not getting paid. I don't know. I did everything they asked. Nope, no money, no money, no money. And then you guys were just, I mean, it was, I mean, just what a slap. Cause I always say that these are PR stunts by Uber just to get attention to themselves. And then they don't even live up to them, but there you guys were. Um, so do the do the phases still apply as much as they once did or is it kind of more like your insurance has you in phase 1 and 2 uh, You know more insurance companies are picking up drivers during phase 1 and 2 that's becoming more common but usually it's Uber that's going to be the primary source of recovery in uh, I should say in phase 2 Uber is going to be the primary source of recovery Okay. In phase one, it gets really hazy. Uber, and for those who don't know, phase one is zero's pro- personal. Phase one is you have the app on, you're sitting somewhere, you don't have a ping yet, you're waiting for a ping. Right. So you're cruising around waiting for a fare. Insurance is really 
really sketchy um, because most of the time your personal insurance is going to try to disclaim uh, any incident that occurs saying, hey, you're working at the time. You are available for hire. You don't have a commercial policy unless you do what you should. Um, we're not going to cover this. And Uber doesn't provide collision coverage in, in a lot of states in that period. Uh, they don't provide uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage in many states in that period. Their liability coverage is much lower, sometimes as low as uh, $50,000. Again, you God forbid kill somebody and you only have $50,000 of coverage, you're in a real bad place. Yeah, that's um, something you and I talked about the last place. I mean, there goes your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's over. I mean, yeah. Uh, and then period two, again, drivers are really vulnerable because Uber only provides contingent uh, collision coverage, which means if you don't have collision coverage on your personal policy, Uber's not going to pay to fix your car if you get in an accident um, in periods two or three. So your livelihood is at stake because you know you think that you're fully covered under the Uber policy, but when push comes to shove, there's a lot of loopholes. So while we're on that, I have to bring this up because I talked about it with uh, Marty at Buckle, who pointed out to me that most of these insurance companies is, or in, this, in the delivery space are the worst. And he, I was like, can you please tell us which ones? Because he had two in mind. And I, he was like, I don't know if I should say them. I was like, well, can, can you tell us? He's like, he's like, Instacart and Grubhub. He's like, they don't have you at all. They yeah. got they got you for nothing. You are on your own. Good luck. Right. And then you're in a position where you have to make a, a decision to tell your insurance company the truth or to stretch the truth, which is a nice way to say it. And yeah, that's what we got into is that most people would have to lie and turn the app off, move right. the car, or if it got stolen, say it got stolen from another block, or it just it's it's making people lie. It's in it's making people commit a crime really because it's, you know, that's insurance fraud. If right. you're making a material lie to your insurance company about what happened during an accident, you know, that's, that doesn't bode well. Um, you know, are they going to come to your door and, and send you away to prison? Probably not, but you might find yourself owing a lot of money facing fines. And, you know, there are criminal repercussions for those types of, uh, you know, misrepresentations and by not having that type of insurance available to drivers, you know, a lot of the delivery companies, some of the rideshare companies are, are really putting their, their drivers at risk. So can you answer me then how these companies, how specifically, let's, let's just talk about that, that, those two then. Like, how are they not doing what the, I mean, because obviously Uber would love to not ha help you out either. <laughs> we know this. Yeah. DoorDash would love to not help you out. But they do something a little different. What, how are they getting away with, you're on your own, but the other companies can't do that? Or what are they doing here? Is, that, is this legal? I know that, I mean, is it literally as simple as the, the TOS that you click a checkbox in says they don't have to carry any insurance for you? No, I think my hunch as to what's happening is that the cities and states have not caught up with some of these delivery services. Um, a lot of the laws that are in place about rideshare insurance mm -hmm. for a long time mimicked the laws that were in place for taxis. Mm -hmm. So the cities and states would say, okay, Uber and Lyft, you can operate on our streets, but you've got to have similar insurance to what the taxis are providing. Uber and Lyft's lobbies have done a great job for them in minimizing what they actually have to provide, but right. the legislatures are not willing to totally discard insurance coverage requirements for rideshare companies. On the other hand, I, I don't think most cities and states have required, say, the Pizza Hut delivery guy to have a commercial insurance policy if that person's working as an independent contractor. You know, it's he's just kind of going through his personal auto insurance usually. And I think that's what Instacart, Grubhub, you know, the, all those companies are mimicking where, you know, you're doing deliveries you're, you don't have a passenger in your car. It's, you know, you can use your personal insurance. But I think that if the legislatures got wind of this and, and it was really pushed forward to them, I do think there would be some requirements. So, okay, then let, let me ask you this as a last question. Then we'll get to some, see if there's some comments here. So everybody get your comments in if you're going to do this. Um, 
But I got to ask you, so you just kind of hit on something there. So because things aren't in place, I mean, things aren't even in place yet for rideshare. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I deal with a group of people who fought AB5, but are true independent contractors, not gig economy. Right. And so they're freelance writers, all these things who have just been destroyed out in California, the PRO Act. And, you know, we're just against all this kind of stuff. But while there isn't any regulations and legislation around delivery, are you okay just carrying your personal insurance? Because we've heard different sides of this. So I would recommend that you have a ride, not a ride share, but a commercial policy through your private insurance. And people hear that and they get scared. They think, oh my gosh, this is going to cost me so much money. It really doesn't. It's more of like an endorsement to your personal policy where you've disclosed from the beginning, I do delivery work. I do. I work for Grubhub. I work for the apps. And as long as you've had that conversation and you pay you know, a couple more dollars each month, you're going to be covered. Um, I recommend to drivers shop around. You know, oh, just yeah. because you've always had State Farm or Progressive or Allstate or whatever. Well, and there's some that won't even cover them anyway. Right. So when, when you start this work, go to your insurance company and tell them, I am starting to work as a rideshare driver. I am starting to work as a delivery driver. I want to make sure that I have coverage through this policy should something go wrong and there you know, be a gap in, in the rideshare company's policy or you know, right. whatever it may be. I want to make sure I'm fully covered. Help me get fully covered. And that honest conversation from the get-go is going to really put you in a position of power when something goes wrong. You know, you're in a business where you're on the road however many hours a week, you're going to get hit sometime, whether it's your fault or not. And if you don't have the right coverage for yourself, you're only making matters worse. Right. So I know that some people get scared because if you call some insurance companies and you say you need a commercial policy, they're going to give you the big box policy. That is, it is a huge difference in price. So even though like um, Europe has that, you know, employee, um, and then the worker classification kind of in the middle that they're trying to work out with gig workers. Is there a commercial policy that people should specifically be asking for? Because I don't think that I was talking to Marty at Buckle about this again, that, you know, you don't need, you need about 10% of what a commercial insurance policy covers. So you're paying for 90% of things you don't need when you hear that big number. Right. Um, I think it's all about terminology. So some companies will call it a commercial policy. Some companies will call it a rideshare endorsement. What you want to ensure that you're conveying to the company is I need this policy for rideshare and gig work. And all of the insurance companies, at least the big ones now, are going to be familiar with that kind of request. You don't need a a commercial policy to drive a semi-tractor trailer across country. You know, that's not what you're doing. You need a commercial policy that's going to allow you to pick up deliveries, pick up people, drive, you know, up to 100 miles a night or whatever it is. Um, Just have a very honest conversation. And maybe your insurance company isn't a good fit. And, And you can mutually decide that, you know, if the insurance company can't give you what you want or is trying to upsell you to that big policy that you don't need, then call up the next guy. You know, there's enough of them out there that you'll find what you need. So, okay. Um, we have a, only a few minutes left here, guys, with, with Bryant and his time. So I'm going to try and get to a couple of these questions here. Um, if I skip yours, I'm sorry. Uh, this one came from Bud Soda. Um, can you reactivate drivers for being late? By that, he means, like, you, are you familiar with that? So, you know, late to a delivery that you didn't make it on time. And if you get deactivated for that, Bud Soda, I don't know how you know that you were deactivated for being late. I'm guessing you just know it because you knew which order it was that did it or whatnot. But again, it could go back to that reason of they just deactivated you. But again, where does their, where does their, where do they lie with having to not do this? Because like Bud Soda works more than anybody I know. He's always working gigs. Right. So if he got something like, like, I mean, I know he's an independent contractor again, but 
is it literally just they can just throw darts and deactivate? It, you know, it depends a lot on the company. Honestly, some companies are more lenient than others. Um, what we found is the hardest deactivations to overturn are the ones that involve safety. So if somebody accuses you of you know, violence or harassment or speeding or driving under the influence or whatever, that's almost never going to get turned around unless you've got real evidence to the contrary. Uh, being late, I would like to think that you, know, you would have a, a good shot to present evidence that that was an unusual circumstance. Um, if, you, if there's a pattern, then it's going to be a problem. If this is the fifth time you were late in a month or, you know, whatever, however, whatever period of time you want to talk about, um, I have a feeling that the company is going to stick to their guns. If this is the first time that you've ever been late, well, that's kind of an unreasonable standard for them to hold you to. And I think that if you got to the right person, you might have some success. Okay. Um, so I see here this uh, from the Driven Dad too. Um, Viho and Amazon Flex are the only companies that um, I think he meant I've that I've noticed with some sort of insurance while you're on the apps. But I just saw uh, Amazon Flex on your website. So obviously they're doing the same thing too. Well, so Amazon Flex has insurance for drivers. So if they're if a driver working for Amazon Flex is hit by an uninsured motorist. We can often find coverage there. Um, you know, what we're seeing is the purely food delivery companies, the Instacarts, or I, not, not, let me, let me start that over. The purely delivery service that you're like picking up from a commercial provider, a uh, Instacart, a Grubhub, a DoorDash. Um, those are the ones that have some difficult insurance policies to work with. DoorDash has recently added some coverage, which is, helpful, but it's not in every state and every place and it doesn't cover every event. Um, so I'm not sure about, uh, in terms of the driven dad's comment, there are other companies that have, um, insurance Uber eats, for instance, they're going to be covered under the, you know, a similar policy to Uber. Um, but it is slim picking. So you're not, you're not incorrect in saying it's, it's very limited. Okay. So I got, I got two more questions here and then we're going to let you get to your other meeting. Um, so Slavic, you're saying that, um, is there a monthly membership for drivers? I'm not really sure what that question is relative to, but if you're asking, um, you can get a free consult from these guys. And in fact, I will pull up Tony's question, which was the other or comment, which was the other one. He's been trying to get in touch with you, um, is either number okay on the website, but I, I'll still say guys that you can, you can do the contact form and you can click Referral, where'd you hear this from? Rideshare Rodeo. <laughs> you can say it was me so that he knows. But I am I wrong in saying that you prefer an email first because you get a better read on it? Yeah. So the, we have several people that, that work at Legal Rideshare, and each one of us handles kind of a different component of the practice. Um, when you submit a form and give us a little bit of information about what you're going through, the reason for your email we can then push that to the right person and give you a real informative, thorough consultation on your specific issue. So um, we're happy to take calls. The numbers are on the website. We're not like Uber and Lyft and you know, we don't hide our contact information, but the most effective way is through that form to reach Here, Here's how I see it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Is that if you have a question like, like Tommy, you've had this question for a bit now, um, that, that means... I would say email them, go through that process so that they can read it and say, and they have that grasp before they get on the phone or talk to you or whatever. But I think the phone numbers, I mean, obviously you want them open to everybody, but I always took that as those are more for people who get in an accident. They're there at the scene right then. Yeah. <laughs> or something is facing them that is very time sensitive. Right. And one thing that's important to you know, appreciate just in general is I might not always be sitting right at my desk. So if you send an email, that's going to pop to me. And, you know, at the moment that I can respond to it, I will. But if you call and it gets forwarded to my voicemail or it goes to my assistant or, you know, whatever it might be, it's just a less direct route. So if you fill out that form on the website, it's going to show up in my email box, uh, inbox, and, and I will be able to respond to you um, quickly. 
right. So, guys, um, I know that we're cutting this short, uh, but that's that's perfect. And I want to get Bryant out of here. I want to thank him for his time. And if any of you have questions, I will leave all of his info in the um, in the show notes because this is the only legal rideshare I have, or legal. I don't want to use your name is the only gig work uh, law firm in the country that I've ever done firsthand work with that I know does great work, great things. So I'm not ever going to refer another one. This is who I would refer you to. And I know that even after reaching them, he might refer you to somebody else. So it doesn't end with them, but you can get, if you need to contact them and, and get some information, they are there. They're there to help you guys out. So don't just Google it. Don't just search because I've seen a bunch popping up that are trying to do the same thing. I don't know anything about them. They might be okay. I don't know. But I do know these guys are great, and you don't have to live in Chicago to be able to use them. Was that okay to say? That That is true. We help wide. <laughs> um, and you know, like Steve just said, most of the time we can assist. But if we can't, we've got good connections all around the country so that you know that you're going to the right place and are in good hands. All right, Brent. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm sure that um, I will try not to bother you, but I'm sure I'll have <laughs> texts or whatever with you that'll ask questions. Never a bother. Thank <laughs> you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. And everybody, uh, make sure that uh, if you have any questions, get uh, just check the show notes. You'll find everything you need. And uh, have a good day, everybody. Thanks. Well, hopefully that was informative to everybody. And if you need to contact Bryant, you can reach out to LegalRideShare.com. You can also find all of the links in the show notes here. And uh, you can find all their social links from their website, as long as some other good information. Um, they got a blog up there and some other things too. But they are the first gig economy um, law firm in the country. And uh, still the best in my opinion. But... You know, if you ever need to reach out, free consultations, they they do it all. So they will really they really can help you out, even if it's just to get a second opinion, anything like that. So if you're in an accident when you're working, if anything happens, if a passenger accuses you, anything like this, um, all the way down to deactivations, obviously you can deal you can uh, catch them. But so uh, we will see you back here on next Tuesday for the regular. Rideshare Rodeo Drop. Make sure to check out uh, tncradio.live on Friday nights from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, and that would be 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific. And also, make sure to check out Maximo App. Get ready for this roundtable that's coming up. It's going to be a good one. All right, guys, I'm out of here. You guys have a great uh, Friday, and weekend and i'll see you back here next week tuesday on rodeo